0: The world's population has grown to 8 billion people. As a society, how we keep up with the increasing need for electricity while addressing our climate goals is a growing
1: challenge. Renewable energies like wind and solar are part of the solution, but we also need full-time sources of clean power when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. That's where existing and advanced nuclear energy comes in. Nuclear is clean air energy, and it's reliable and available 24-7. Plus, nuclear energy generates thousands of times more power using a fraction of the land that wind and solar would need. Energy Northwest is proud to provide clean, abundant, and reliable energy to help meet our growing needs. Learn more about nuclear energy and its full potential at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com.
0: Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.
1: Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. And with me is my co host and editor of California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories we've been working on lately. Uh, first, Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm
0: great, Dan. Did you have a good weekend?
1: I did. It was my uh, oldest daughter's birthday, so it was an action packed nice. weekend. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Did you have it was,
1: a party? It was good. Uh She did. Yeah, a pool cool. party with uh, some friends. Kind of kept it a little small, so it was nice, it was yeah. uh, not too, not too intense, not out of control.
0: But good. Yeah. I was at a birthday pool party too. My daughter's schoolmate's ninth birthday. Really fun. It's yeah. a cool, uh, good weekend really for nice. us. It was. It's uh, well, not too hot here yet in NorCal. And, uh, it's always interesting to go out and see other parents in their houses. And this guy had a blacksmith shop that he was building oh, wow. and we stood around and people talked about, well, oh, you shouldn't put your wiring here and do this and that all stuff. I really didn't know much about, so I learned a few things. <laughs> yeah.
1: nodded, nodded along.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. I tried to, I was like, this is blacksmithing. That, that is an yeah. interesting hobby. Very cool hobby yeah yeah this guy was on a reality tv show um uh, something forge yeah so all right well there you go interesting people around here
1: yeah i can imagine well so speaking of interesting what do you have for
0: us this week all right well i'm going to be talking about uh truckers and truck zero emission trucks which uh is getting a lot of pushback from the trucking industry as you might predict uh and then we have shasta county dropping criminal charges against pg&e a little bit of a controversy around that decision and then some cec news california energy commission approving two clean energy grants for 36 million for some kind of cool new innovative projects here in California. all right well i've got a story about uh utilities acquiring
1: battery systems and just how much those are becoming a part of just normal resource acquisition. Uh, first, I've, though, I'm going to start off, start us off with a story about the biggest remo- uh, dam removal project in history. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind listeners that they still have time to sign up for our webinar on June 22nd and June 23rd. Western resource adequacy, progress, perils, and paths forward. Among the panels will be one I'm moderating about uh, transmission. So great lineup of speakers. Really going to be fun, informative. Yep. I really encourage people to go sign up or check it out. They can find more information at newsdata.com/slash/conf. That's the first four letters of conference. Newsday.com C N C O N F. Don't do not
0: oh. want to miss this one.
1: Yeah, indeed. Some great uh, speaker. Super important topic, obviously. Yeah.
0: Look but uh to-
1: yeah, so am I. So, uh all right. So the biggest dam removal project in history got underway recently. Copco number no. two dam on the Klamath River was disconnected from the grid. And it's slated to be demolished later this summer. So it's one of four dams on the river in Oregon to be taken down or slated to be taken down. Uh, so the dam removals will be the first step in restoring the Upper Klamath River, which you know, before these dams were added, once supported the third largest salmon fishery in the West. Uh, hmm. But the dams have no passage facilities for Androminus fish. So it's really obviously decimated the uh, that salmon population. The four dams have a total capacity of 163 megawatts, and they generate an average of uh, just over 680,000 megawatt hours every year. But the owner Pacific Core, uh, it backed the effort and says it's not gonna have a problem about re- uh, replacing that capacity, uh, especially in that region. It doesn't really need a lot of uh, resource or doesn't that need to add a lot of uh, resource gener- generation resources. So it's more just about, you know, maintaining that grid there. And overall, yeah, it says, Hey, 163 megawatts. That's, that's nothing in the Pacific core, you know, resource yeah. stack. It's a big utility, obviously that spans, I think they've, their footprint is in like seven states, at least partially so, yeah Yeah. Uh, right. You know, uh, uh, an important moment in it's the evolving world of hydropower in the Northwest. So, um uh, I'm sure yeah. as listeners know the salmon population up here is really struggling and you know, used to include millions of fish and now salmon runs are you know counted
0: in the thousands so pretty crazy it's
1: just billions on trying to mitigate it
0: I know yeah you we're sort of wonder that why didn't what what was the thinking behind this just you know plug up the river and whatever with the salmon like they're so, they're so important you know I yeah i be, I
1: suppose at the time it was
0: meh 1925
1: <laughs> yeah i mean this was this is part of the reason pacific Corps backed the effort is this is an old dam yeah that re- was requiring a lot of maintenance to keep it going and so they looked at it and said it's not worth the money so
0: yeah and uh this it, uh so sir, was led by the, uh, the tribes right or the uh yeah they were
1: among tribe. the the advocates of it uh of course you know obviously advocates also coming from conservancy groups uh fish restoration groups uh, so you had a lot of uh groups advocates coming together to push for this and they found a receptive partner in the utility which is not
0: always the case yeah and i see a tribal representative saying here they've been working on this for 20 years so quite significant yeah. There's a, uh, there's a salmon hatchery near me in Sacramento. That I took my daughter over really cool to see. And these fish are so huge and so there's, they jump out of the water. It's quite intense, but it's cool seeing them up close.
1: It is one of the, one of the things I really appreciate about living in Seattle is there are streams, you know, there's a stream, like a mile and a half from where I live that salmon spawn in. Wow. yeah Yeah. it's it's wild to be in a city and then just go down you know park and there's salmon
0: splashing up the river it's such a unique creature and the way it moves you know and migrates is pretty fascinating and it's very tasty yes there is that so i am a fan
1: yeah indeed so uh back down to california you've got truckers worried over zero emission uh, vehicle rules mm-hmm.
0: what, what's yeah. going on down there well we've been covering the california air resources boards advanced clean regulation um which was approved in april this is a big one um i won't get into the specifics of it but say there's requirements for trucks i think they start fizzing in 2024 and uh there's been a lot of pushback from the industry for obvious reasons and it make some really good points and i did do this as a bottom line. i i didn't put any opinion in here but personally i, I do wonder if this is being thought through uh for one that the trucking situation the trucking industry is so different from passenger evs that um just and that's what some of the advocates here say just applying that same model to trucking could have disastrous Consequences, I spoke to Mike Kucharski, who's co owner and vice president of IKC Trucking, which is actually based in Illinois. He does a lot of business in California. Here's a quote from our phone conversation complying with these mandates will push many carriers out of business and tighten capacity, causing severe price inflation for all goods. He specializes in moving temperature sensitive freight, such as fresh produce, meat, dairy products, beverages, candy, and chocolates. A lot of trips to California. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues with this. Electricity prices rising in California, particularly painful in this state, along with the cost of food and consumer goods. And you have to wonder these additional um, mandates, what they will cost. Not that I have an opinion on these mandates. Uh, Kucharski said he doesn't think the grid is ready. You know, when we had the the situation last Labor Day with the near rolling outages, they're telling people not to charge their EVs um so how will that work but yeah there's a, a lot of issues here you know the weight um let me see there's yeah. Some
1: numbers yeah I mean you've yeah. got the yeah there's numbers in there about uh truck uh traditional uh gasoline or diesel powered truck can refuel in 15 minutes and make it about 1200 miles versus mm-hmm. 150 to 300 miles on long, uh, for a long haul battery electric truck that takes up to 10 hours to charge. Uh, I see that the photo that ran with your column is of a Tesla model that sure. uh, Tesla's developing. So I'm curious do you, you don't happen to know how long that takes with their supercharger? I don't. Faster, but those are yeah. big batteries. So in is the trucking industry, you know, they they're raising concerns like you said these seem to be very legitimate worthwhile concerns. Uh, are they yeah.
0: Proposing any alternatives? No, I you know I don't know what happened during the the carb um, development process here. I'm sure what they're urging. You know, all these guys are saying they're not against zero emissions vehicles, but they're just worried about the timelines. And I think the timelines are the biggest concern. And you know, lack of charging infrastructure. I I heard one figure that uh, these truck batteries can weigh eight thousand pounds. So yeah, you sort of have to wonder. um, There was some discussion on Capitol Hill, U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works, April 18th, where Andrew Boyle of Massachusetts-based Boyle Transportation saying, uh, you know, if there if the batteries had sufficient range, if there was adequate charging infrastructure, and if utilities could deliver the power, the truckers would be quote delighted. So, trucking emissions have always been greatly reduced in in recent decades and uh yeah changing mandates uh, and those numbers that you you mentioned about uh the charging it's just uh the kucharski said you know the current range of a battery battery wouldn't even get his truck out of the state well so, and
1: um, I mean part of the issue right is be from outside California because even if California yeah, implements this mandate and then invests to build up the charging infrastructure these long-haul trucks are coming from a lot of them are coming from places bringing goods uh from outside California and, and okay California builds up the charging network but what happens once you cross the border into Nevada or uh Oregon and I I don't think I can ever remember if it's ne- Nevada or Nevada I'm sure I got it wrong I see um, Nevada, but yeah uh <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's. I, I imagine the truckers are concerned about okay. Well, you know, if I'm coming from three states over, even if I can charge in California, it doesn't get me very far. What happens no. after out of the state? So it, when you yeah. said uh, the the comment about um, apply the their concerns about applying the model for personal electric vehicles yeah. was that in terms of the the timeline and just sort of that uh, top down mandate that well you have to buy yeah. them and. We assume the uh you know the increase in cars on the road will will increase the number of cars, and then the charging network will really be driven by that, the the build out of it.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's what their point is it's just a much different animal, you know, the way EV the way people drive cars and charge them, you yeah. know, obviously short distances, much shorter distances, shorter discretionary. More yeah. discretionary trips. Exactly. And if you know, it's a lot harder to charge on the road with these giant vehicles that have these huge draws. I mean, Boyle here and the Capitol hearing Capitol Hill hearing was talking about somebody wanted to electrify 10 forklifts at uh some facility in Illinois, and the city was like, You gotta be kidding, this is a bigger draw than the entire city. Like how, how will we make that leap? And, uh, gosh, I just, it's, it's kind of amazing, you know, but, uh, we'll plow ahead with this. And, um, you know, I use the metaphor of a collision course here. Hopefully what we don't want is a a massive supply chain crisis, uh, because of this. And, um, yeah, that's just one more pinch on the consumer. Indeed. Yeah. But I yeah, yeah I
1: mean that's the other concern is what what does this do for already uh, escalating inflation that really is just having really starting to squeeze consumers that yeah. I know this is a longer timeline, but yep, you know, it certainly is something to I'm sure policymakers are considering. yep well, and, uh, speaking of batteries all right down in, well, not uh, over in Idaho. Idaho wants to add just over 250 megawatts of battery storage to its grid, and it recently asked state regulators to approve a 20-year 150-megawatt energy storage agreement, as well as the acquisition of another 101 megawatts of energy storage resources. So uh, the utility needs resources, additional uh, generation and capacity resources by 2024 and 2025 to close an impending capacity deficit that really kind of caught the utility, by surprise, I don't mean that like that the utility that Idaho Power wasn't paying attention. It was just several factors came together to very quickly uh, increase its load forecast from you know, its 2019 uh, resource planning or its resource plan had a, you know it said, okay, well, we're going to need additional resources the end of the 2020s. And two years later, when it did its 2021, uh, IRP integrated resource plan all of a sudden you had um load growth some resources that haven't been performing as well or aren't projected to uh, contribute
0: mm.
1: and then um limited third-party transmission capacity so just the limits on the ability to bring in market purchases and also concerns about market purchase availability uh, that all of a sudden you know that really pushed up accelerate that uh, capacity deficit to just you know beginning next year and, and the year after so it's asking the uh idaho public utilities commission to greenlight acquiring that 250 or adding that 150 megawatt um, energy storage agreement which is the battery equivalent of a power purchase agreement and then as well as uh two storage uh Facilities: a 24 megawatt one and a 77 megawatt one that Idaho Power wants to develop and own itself, uh, and those are in part to serve um, some uh, a data center that Meta, the formerly known as Facebook, is building. So oh yeah, that's real. Data centers have been a big driver of the load growth projections in Idaho and you know, Washington, especially as elsewhere. Uh, so then over in Oregon, uh, Portland General Electric wants to own and operate a 75 megawatt battery storage facility that it hopes will come online next year uh, and be located west of Portland, which is, of course, its main demand area. And this is the last acquisition of its 2021 uh, all source request for proposals. So basically it's 2021, um, you know, shopping list. Uh, and it, as part of that effort, it is acquiring 470 watt, 75 megawatts of battery storage in four separate projects, as well as 300 megawatts of new wind so- storage. And it is really remarkable to see, uh, and this is why I want to talk about these stories. It's really remarkable to see just how quickly batteries have become just kind of part of the regular uh, resource acquisition processes yeah. for utilities i mean this is just two years ago this was not the case um portland general electric being one of the earlier uh, utilities to really start putting money behind actual batteries that are part of its grid and not demonstration projects
0: sure yes yeah, especially in california but storage is exploding here in the west Here's one more example.
1: yeah i mean it's different circumstances you guys in california uh, policymakers have really put a lot of uh, a lot behind counting on batteries to shore up the grid. I mean, that's certainly, I know, yeah. something that you've raised concerns about um, previously. At the and, and others, um, are they putting yeah. their eggs
0: in one basket, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they know what they're doing. I, all the storage is helping. No one's doubting that. <clears throat> Will it be used in the ways? that it needs to be used will the sourcing be there but you know I just I just talked a lot about Zev trucks too so I don't want to come off as you know the cynic or anything but um this is no, uh, but we
1: have to ask the tough questions as we're transformed right. fundamentally transforming the grid I think you know, certainly well, so, that's the role of us as, as journalists is to make sure those difficult questions are being asked
0: yeah that's so, the way I see it you know yeah for sure
1: Speaking of uh, difficult situations, so what's going on yes. with PG&E and criminal charges in Shasta County?
0: Well, PG&E and the Shasta County District's Attorney Office on May 31st reached a civil settlement in which the utility will pay $50 million to have criminal charges dismissed from the 2020 Zog fire. PG&E will pay a $5 million civil penalty to Shasta County. With the remaining 45 million funding local organizations focused on rebuilding communities, the agreement stipulates PG&E cannot seek cost recovery from its customers. Um, so, yeah, this follows uh, PG&E settlement with California Public Utilities Commission announced May 18th. In that settlement, the utility agreed to pay 150 million for its role in causing the fire, which began September 27th burned 56,000 acres caused four fatalities and destroyed 227 Mm -hmm. structures. CPC alleged the grapevine that fell on these lines along Zogbine Road was not removed in time. Um, Yeah, the Chester County DA spelled it out further saying utility contractors quote had marked the tree as hazardous and designated it for removal in 2018, but it was never removed. Not everybody happy with it. Uh, well, here's a quote from Patty Poppy, CEO. The Quote: The agreement reflects our continuing commitment to making it right, to making it right, and making it safe. We stand behind our thousands of trained and experienced coworkers and contractors working every day to keep Californians safe. Okay, um, and PG&E will also implement some new systems for vegetation management in high-risk areas in Shasta County. Meet quarterly with the Shasta County DAs. Uh, but our friend uh, Will Abrams, who lost his home in the 2017 Tubbs Fire quote, said, so this pattern of not holding pg e to account for the fires they start will continue to have negative ripples, for example, affecting residents' ability to get insurance. This follows State Farm, of course, canceling any more insurance property insurance policies in California, which is very alarming. And he said, many of the wildfire mitigations that are part of the settlement are likely just overlapping with what PG&E already planned to do. So not everybody happy with it, but, um, you know, this complicated situation, tough, tough situation, but, uh, it looks like we have some resolution here to that, which is nice, but, um, yeah, unfortunate and, um, the zog fire one of one of the nastier ones and do you know are there
1: still um civil suits proceeding with uh the like families who lost relatives in the fire
0: uh i'm sure there are yeah there's so many of these fires in so many cases it's hard to keep, keep them straight yeah, um tragically yeah yeah um so I, i'm sure there are yeah and um you know it's always trees on lines and um yeah it's a, it's a tough one uh, i think PG, course, pg yeah no
1: what what are you going to say
0: they've pushed back a little bit on this where's one quote pg disputes e that there's evidence sufficient to support a finding that any of the alleged violations directly contributed to the ignition of the zog fire so yeah it's one of those legalistic kind of things but uh criminal charges dropped in Shasta and well,
1: so on a uh lighter note yes you get the, so uh California Energy Commission putting some money behind clean energy projects
0: yep this is last week um the May 31st business meeting two grants along with a new load shift goal which I'll discuss in a minute one grant was for three million. For the Lancaster project company to develop, construct, and operate a clean, renewable hydrogen production facility in Lancaster, the plant would produce about 3.8 kilograms of renewable hydrogen by converting 42,000 tons of in-state rejected, recycled, mixed paper waste. That's per year. Uh, That's got to be a typo, 3.8 kilograms per year. Mm, I have to look into that. Okay. Okay. Reporting from Ann Ernst, a separate grant of almost $33 million through the state's Electric Program Incentive Charge, or EPIC, was awarded to Charge Bliss, a company located in Lake Forest, to develop a 5-megawatt solar generation system co-located with a 20-megawatt-hour non-lithium-ion long-duration energy storage system at a nearly 27-acre site at the Pasquenta Indian Reservations in Tahama County. Its a proposed microgrid system will approve energy resiliency for the Pascenta Band of Nomlaki Indians. And also, the CEC adopted a goal pursu- pursuant to legislation AB 846, which is passed in 2022, to shift up to 7 gigawatts of load to conserve energy through incentive-based programs, such as time of use rates and demand-side grid support. The load shift is currently about 3.1 gigawatts, will increase to 7 gigawatts by 2030. That's according to the CEC. Load flexibility possibilities were broken into three categories. Uh, load modifying, as well as resource planning and procurement and incremental and emergency programs. All several gigawatts each of potential savings. So, yep, some more clean energy money from CEC and a load shift goal. That is, uh, again, reporting from Ann Ernst. All right, So good stuff.
1: I'm, I'm sure we'll be covering those uh, and other projects as they come along. Oh, yes. So, uh, stay tuned, listeners. As always, you can find out more at newsdata.com. Well, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and pass it along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter, although, to be honest, I'm not very active these days. I'm at dcatchpole. Again, that's d catchpole, And clearing up is at cunewsdata. That's the letter
0: c-u-newsdata. If you want to be keeping up with the latest energy news in California, you definitely want to be following California Energy Markets on Twitter. That's at CEM News Data. That's letter CEM News Data. I'm also on Twitter at Fordney Energy. We'll see you there and we'll see you here next week.